0: Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to the Res Life Big Rapids podcast. We're glad you found us, and we hope this message helps shape you into something that looks like Christ. Now let's listen in. Well, good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Life Church. Was that good worship or what? Let's give it up. Let's give it up to the team, the tech team, the worship team. Come on, give them a round of applause. They worked so hard. Well, hey, if you're new here this morning, we wanted to, to take a second and say welcome to our church. We hope that you find family and a, and a home here. Uh, if you uh, if you look in the seat back in front of you, you will see there's a New Here card. And if you would, if you could just fill that out and drop that off at the New Here kiosk right dead center in the foyer, and uh, you'll get a chance to talk to one of the staff pastors and maybe ask any questions you have about the church. Um uh, And, uh, yeah, so we've got a couple of things we want to share with you this morning, um, stuff that's going on this week that's in the know. Why don't you guys go ahead and run that?
1: Hey there, Res Life. I'm Pastor Dom, and you're watching The Know. Here are the top three things to know for this week. Men, tomorrow night is our night for food, fellowship, and God's word our men's ministry will be meeting once again at Pastor Paul's house and will kick off at 6 p.m. The Bible talks about iron sharpening iron and that's where we're made better by the people around us. So join us tomorrow night at 6 p.m. at Pastor Paul's house. If you need directions, address cards are available at the Welcome Center after service. Coming up August 5th is our annual Church in the Park service. This service takes place at 10 a.m. at the Hemlock Park Band Show, and will be the only service that day. It's a great day in the life of our church. We all get to worship together, and it's a great opportunity to invite coworkers and friends to church. It's a great way to share your love about our church. Plus, there's a church cookout after the service. So mark your calendars, August 5th at 10 a.m. The other great thing about our Church in the Park service is right after our church service, we have baptisms in the Muskegon River. Water baptism is an important step in someone's journey with God. If you would like to be baptized at this service, we have a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center today. Thanks for joining us here at Res Life as we reach up to God, reach in to live more like Christ, and reach out to our community. If you want to re-watch today's service, our live stream will be posted on our Facebook page. And if you haven't yet, don't forget to like us on Facebook. If you want to re-listen to today's message or get caught up in any past messages, you can listen on our website at rlcbr.org or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, you're in the know.
0: All right, all right. Good morning, church. My name is Joey. I'm the worship pastor here, if you don't know me or you haven't got to meet yet. Uh, pastor Ross is not here this morning. He is, uh, he is at a wedding uh, up in Gaylord. So you get me. I hope that's cool. All right. Oh, thanks. Boy, you guys make me feel so loved. This morning, we're going to uh, begin to wrap up the sermon series we've been in called The Forgettables. Uh, today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a man named Matthias. And Ross has one other character that he wants to talk about next week, and then we're going to move on to uh, whatever else it is that God has in store for us for the rest of the year. Now, in a, in a good bit of irony... Uh, The name of our sermon series actually has a lot to do with the main point of my message this morning. And I think what we're going to learn from the story of this forgettable man, Matthias, is that in actuality, probably the most forgettable character in the whole of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And that sounds weird to say at first, but if you just hang on for the ride, we're going to wander up the mountain and go around the hills and head down a couple rabbit holes, and at the end, you're going to be like, oh, you know what, I, I think he's right. So, hang on. Here we go. You guys ready? All right. Uh, before, before we talk about Matthias, I want to set up some context. It's super important when we're studying Scripture to make sure that we don't, uh, you know, take a verse or a couple verses and, and remove them from, from everything else the author was trying to say. So, Matthias, his story is found in Acts chapter 1, but we're just going to walk for a second through the whole chapter because there's some things that you need to understand first understand Matthias's significance, okay? So we're going to start Acts chapter 1, and it begins with a simple introduction to the book itself, and then a quick account of how Jesus, after his resurrection, uh, spent time for 40 days appearing and and ministering to those that believed in him. The Apostle Paul wrote that he actually appeared to uh, just a little over 500 people during that time. And we're going to pick this up. Jesus is is on a mountain outside of Jerusalem. He's eating with the disciples, and he makes he makes a promise to them. Well, actually, it's, he says he he gives a command, and then he makes a promise. And this is what it said: Acts, chapter one, verses four and five. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't know, the book of Acts is actually the second half of one volume. Uh, it's it's two books that that work together. The first book in the volume is the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, written by a guy named. Yes, he's also the guy that wrote Acts. Luke is is an account of everything that Jesus did, his life, death, resurrection. But then Luke was was one of the, the friends of a lot of the people we read about in the book of Acts. So whereas I think a lot of the, Luke itself was secondhand accounts. He's interviewing people, getting the story straight. The book of Acts. Luke was there for a lot of this. He actually mentions himself later on in the book as journeying with, with Paul and some of the other missionaries that we read about. So this, the, you're, you're, you're not just reading something that a guy heard about one time. Luke Luke has a lot of firsthand knowledge about what happened. Um, now, here's the thing about the book of Acts. Even though it's part of two volumes, it stands on its own, which means that Luke had a point to the book, a theme that he was trying to make, a point that he was trying to make. And, and what, I, what I think it is, and, and he, he sets it up in that scripture we just read, is this first little blurb from Jesus, and it's a simple command. With a simple promise, wait in Jerusalem, because God is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And Luke backs up this point he's trying to make, this theme, as the chapter carries on. Right after uh, Jesus gives this command to the disciples, he is taken up into heaven. Theologians call it the ascension. He's standing there with the disciples, and all of a sudden he is. Disappears up into the sky, and the disciples have no idea what to do. This doesn't make any sense in their mind. They didn't see this coming, and they didn't see it coming because as the Jews, and they were all good Jews, as the Jews interpreted the Old Testament scriptures, they thought that the Messiah, who was Jesus, they thought that the Messiah had come to be a political Savior. See, they had been under Roman rule for about 200 years, and they'd been under a bunch of other empires' rules for about 1,000 years, and they hated it, and they wanted out of it. And so when Jesus came, the disciples naturally thought, hey, this is the Messiah. He's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And we skip that verse, but the disciples actually asked him that. Right after he gives them this command, they like completely missed the point, and they're like, hey, is this, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? And this is his simple answer. Uh, verses uh, 7 and 8, he says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the what? Comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Now, Luke did not have to tell this story, and if he did, he didn't have to tell it this way with those words. I think it's pretty clear that Luke is trying to make a point in this book about the significance of the Holy Spirit, which is why the next story in Acts chapter 1 is so weird and wildly interesting because the Holy Spirit is nowhere to be seen. Let's read about this guy, Matthias. Verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the men. Oh, sorry, along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said. Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. We're going to skip to verse 20. For Peter said, It is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, It is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us this whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Now, on its face, this meeting seems like a non-event. It's a meeting like every boring meeting you've ever been in in your whole life. A guy stands up, makes a motion, and everybody else... Somebody else seconds the motion, and then they decide, okay, we're going to carry on with this. They put the names in the hat, and they draw the hat, and presto, we have the 12th apostle. Carry on. It doesn't really seem to fit the narrative that Luke had already been starting. We, We see this recurring theme immediately. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. Why this story, it doesn't seem like that big a deal, except that it's actually a pretty huge deal. You see, just 46 days beforehand, in the upper room at the Last Supper, Jesus was sharing a meal with his disciples, and he said some very important words. And we read this in Luke, so this further just helps me see, I think it helps us see that this is the point that Luke was trying to make. He said, in Luke 22, verse 28, Jesus said, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So the disciples, after Jesus said that, were somewhat aware of their significance. Jesus had painted them this picture of them ruling the the twelve tribes of Israel with him. And Peter in this moment is thinking, Well, one of us is gone. There needs to be a twelfth guy, and Jesus said that he's gonna build a church on me, so I guess I'm supposed to be in charge, and he just stands up and, and makes a motion, and and its second names are drawn from the hat, and it's chosen presto. Boring meeting, right? Okay. But here's the thing. I think we need to ask the question: was choosing Matthias, God's plan. As I've read the Gospels in the book of Acts, I I see some things that make me question that. And it it makes me wonder if Peter was actually acting in the perfect will of God or if he was just trying to do the the best that he knew how to do. And Matthias just kind of got caught up in the middle of it. What I'd like to do is go down a couple rabbit holes, and and I think it's going to help us answer that question, was choosing Matthias part of God's plan. First things first. I want to talk about Matthias himself. That my little headline here is the legend of Matthias. Okay. First things first. Um, there isn't honestly a lot that we know about this guy. This is the only place that he's mentioned in the whole of the Bible. He gets like five verses, and that's it. He disappears from the biblical record. We know the scripture said that scripture said that they chose him because he had been with Jesus from the beginning. Uh, so. Scholars assume that he was one of the original 70 disciples that Jesus sent out to, to work and minister in Israel, and we know that he had remained faithful to Christ up until this point, otherwise they wouldn't have nominated him. But that's all that we can really know from the biblical record about this guy, Matthias. And uh, so I started digging around, and I found a couple other sources, some traditions that, that maybe helped us shed a little more light on who Matthias was. Um. The Catholic Encyclopedia actually tells us two different stories, and so why don't you go ahead and pull up that map? Check this out. Um, one one story is that Matthias, after this moment, after this, he traveled to the Caspian Sea, which is way up there in the right corner, and he then he then uh, went to the distant Roman colony called Colchis, which is that top right red box, and he ministered there un, until he was martyred or, or killed for the name of Jesus, but There's also another version of the story. They say that he did that. He went to to the Caspian Sea, ministered in Colchis, but eventually felt called to come back to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there's a story that that he was stoned for the name of Jesus and eventually beheaded. Now, the Greek Orthodox Church has kind of a different story. They say that he ministered in central and north Turkey, which is, you can see that that second red box there, that's Cappadocia, Cappadocia. Um, and then they say that he also ministered a little up up in Pontus, up by the sea, and that um, it was said that he worked many signs and wonders and miracles, and, and he survived several miraculous escapes from the Romans and the government as they were trying to shut him down. Um, but it all has the flavor of, of myth. Uh, I, I'm reading about him. I'm like, I don't. This guy, he belongs in an Indiana Jones movie, like, protecting a relic in a dark cave that's going to, like, melt your face off. This doesn't seem like, this doesn't seem like a, a guy who necessarily should be in the Bible. Uh, that's, that's all we know about him. And it, it further makes me wonder, Luke, why did you tell us a story about a guy who, at least in the biblical record, is kind of insignificant? Nothing, nothing happened from him. What's, what's going on? Well, here's the thing. I don't think Matthias was actually the point of the story. I think it was something else entirely. Um, So here's the next little rabbit hole to kind of try to get to the point that Luke was making in this story. I want to go back to how Matthias was chosen. Do you remember how they decided to pick him? They cast lots. What is that? I don't know. Let's figure that out. So I, I started studying that and I mean I had an idea maybe what it was, um, but I, I looked it up in, in the Greek encyclop or the, the Greek dictionary that you can use when you're studying scripture. and I looked at the actual words in the Greek and it means just pretty much what I, I thought it means. It said back in that time they would take uh, a piece of wood or a rock and they put somebody's name on it and they'd put it in a, in a vase. They didn't have buckets. they put it in a vase and shake it up and pour it out and the first guy's name to hit the floor. presto, you have your decision made. Uh, now, this was actually uh, very common in the Old Testament. Um, you see it again and again and again. Most of the time, casting lots was used to make uh, make a decision when you wanted to make a fair decision. Um, so, uh, I, a couple stories I read. One, they were they were separating separating up the Israelite army into different ranks and files, and they all had to have different duties. And so Joshua just stood, and he, you know, put the various. I don't know companies, whatever you want to call them, in, in in the vase and shook it up, and as their lot fell out, they were assigned to duties. So it was a way to ascribe fairness, uh, so that later on people couldn't come back to a leader and be like, "You made a terrible decision." And he's like, "No, the bucket made a decision. I didn't do it." Okay. But there was also there was also sometimes a spiritual aspect to it. People would use it to try to discern or divine the will of the Lord. And a really famous story of that you guys remember the the story of Jonah? We did the sermon series a while back. Uh, Jonah's you know he's running from God. He's on the ship. The storm comes, and the sailors are like, "What's going on? Who is it?" And so they 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 figure you know sailors are. Um, you know they're they're really into this kind of stuff. So they uh, they gather everybody together on the boat and they cast lots and the lot falls to Jonah, and Jonah's like, "Yeah, it's my fault. Throw me overboard." So in that situation, the uh, the lot was kind of a prophetic thing. It, it the Lord did influence it, and it even says in in Proverbs 16:33, it says the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. But that story of Jonah is really the only time that that happens in the whole of Scripture. The rest of the time, when a lot is cast, it's just to help make a decision. Because, let's be honest, it's luck. It's just luck. And so in that case, I think we can look at Matthias and say, well, maybe, maybe choosing him was just, was just luck. It could have been this other guy as much as it could have been him. Now that method... That method had worked for a couple thousand years. But I think it's significant that this is the last time we see it happening in Scripture. You know, even though Peter prayed a nice prayer before the lot was cast, um, all the Scripture tells us is just that the lot fell to Matthias. It doesn't say that God chose him. Everybody in the room just assumed it was Matthias. Wouldn't it have been much better if... There was a way to actually, like, talk to God and speak to God and know the mind of the Lord instead of rolling dice. That's the next rabbit hole. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we need to look at him in Scripture to really get to the point of the story of Matthias and what Luke was trying to say. You see, the Holy Spirit, his role throughout the Bible was, was pretty limited. Uh, In the Old Testament, he was, the Holy Spirit came and and dwelt in just a handful of, I mean, you can't say a handful. If you read the whole Old Testament, you probably get a list of about 30 names. But that covers like three millennia of human history. So there were not very many people that were filled with or or dwelt in the presence of God. Um, It was a special thing, a special gift given to specific people for a specific purpose. It wasn't available to all and everyone. And that's there's, there's two things that you need to understand about the Holy Spirit. Um, the first is that, like I said, the Holy Spirit was a special gift given only to a select few. Second, and I think this is the most important, the primary residence, the primary place of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, was actually in, the, in a room called the Holy of Holies inside of the Jewish temple. And This room was the most sacred, most holy place in the entire Jewish faith. It was so holy and so sacred that only one man, once a year, could enter in and interact with the presence of the Lord. It was the high priest, and he came in there to do a specific ritual, a specific rite, a specific way. And if he messed it up at all, he would be struck down dead in the presence of the Lord they were so they were so like terrified of this that that the high priest part of his his ritual garment was actually bells tied to the bottom of his tunic and a rope around his waist because if the bells stopped ringing they knew that he'd done something wrong and they had to pull him out cuz he had died so it was a very special a very holy a very awesome a very fearful thing the presence of the lord kind of this 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 mystery. It's like if the lights, you'd feel, they felt about the Holy Spirit the way you would feel if we shut all the lights off and I said, hey, there's a tiger in the room. Have fun. Okay? It's its scary a little bit almost. The other thing about the Holy of Holies is that it was separated from the rest of the temple and really the rest of the world by a 12-inch thick curtain called a, called the veil. It was specially crafted, specially designed for the temple and, and its significance was was really just driving home the point of this is the most holy place. My presence is holy. My presence is special. It's different. And, 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 and even though I want to be here and near you, I still have to be separate from you, the Lord was saying. Here's the crazy thing. The moment that Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake, lightning, thunder, and the Gospel of Matthew records that that veil was torn from top to bottom. Something was starting to change. The, the very makeup of the universe was changing. So let's go back to the book of Acts. I want to pick up where we left off. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 1. And let's see, let's see what the rending, the tearing of the veil meant. Verse 1 chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. From this point forward, Everything about the disciples changes, the way they speak, the way they move, the way they make decisions is not just influenced by, but is completely full of the Holy Spirit. The greatest change we see, honestly, is in, is in Peter. If you go back a few chapters, Peter is, is Jesus, well, uh, Jesus has been, he's been captured, and he's, he's facing trial, and Peter is standing outside of the house where Jesus is currently under trial by the Sanhedrin, and there's people, he's warming himself by a fire, and there's a couple people standing there, and they're like, hey, you're that guy who's with Jesus of Nazareth, right? You know him, man, they've got him locked up in there, what's going on? And Peter's like, no, I don't know him, and they insist. No, you're, you're the guy I can tell by your accent. He says, no, I don't know him. And then he denies him one more time. And in the moment of, of his best friend's need, Peter was a coward and ran from this person that God was calling him to be. But in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, we see a whole different guy. Peter is filled up with or is filled up with the Holy Spirit, and he runs outside, and there's a crowd gathering around because there's 120 people talking in a funky language, and, and it's just getting crazy, and. Peter says, everybody, everybody listen up. I've got a story to tell. And he preaches one of the greatest sermons in the whole of Scripture. And over a 1,000 people get saved at that very moment. And Peter goes on. He's imprisoned. He's, he's tortured. And eventually he is crucified for the name of Christ, the man who had once denied Jesus basically to his face, fallen him to the death. That's the change that the Holy Spirit wanted to bring. It changed another man too, a Pharisee named Saul, who hated the followers of Jesus with everything inside of him. He was given a letter by the high priest to travel to the nearby city of Damascus and go and find these people that believed in Jesus and drag them back to Jerusalem to face trial and probably their death. And on his way to this city... There's, there's a, a sound of thunder and a flash of lightning and Saul is knocked off his horse and he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, I, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he's struck blind. They have to lead him by hand to Damascus. And he's sitting waiting in a room praying. He doesn't know what's going on. And a faithful man by the name of Ananias comes in. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to pray for you, to heal you. And he prays over him. Saul is baptized in the Holy Spirit at that moment. And he goes on. And his name was changed to Paul. And he becomes one of the greatest missionaries of all time. And he writes over half of the New Testament. A man who was a murderer. becomes one of the the greatest men in all of Scripture. Here's what I think. Paul was actually God's choice to replace Judas, not Matthias. Like the original 11 disciples, he was chosen by Jesus himself. He showed up to him, spoke to him. And then the authority of of his works, the signs and wonders that followed him, and the authority of his writings, which we all read in the New Testament, further puts him on equal footing with the original 11 disciples who were with Jesus but here's what i also think that's not important to the story the whole matthias thing worked out even though peter maybe jumped the gun and didn't make the best choice he was doing the best thing he knew how to do he knew how to do and god's grace was sufficient to make it work out i mean we have the legend indiana jones matthias out there you know doing all that crazy stuff. It worked out. But there's a deep, poignant question here for all of us. The point of the story. How quickly do we forget that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, yet we just go around casting lots, walking through our lives like he's not there at all? Yeah, sure, you know, it was like a year and a half ago, maybe two years it was like two-thirds of the church came up, and, and they were prayed over, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, but I know that for some of us, nothing changed. We just went on living the way we'd been living, making decisions the way we made decisions, just living life and trudging on back to the cycle. We didn't see what we saw in Peter. We didn't see what we saw in Paul. God has more for us. He has a plan for each and every one of us in this room, a plan that is more fulfilling, enjoyable than anything we could ever come up with on, a, come up with on our own. And I'm not talking about just making better decisions. The point of this sermon is not for you to go to Meijer and be like, Holy Spirit, should I buy a watermelon? I don't know. They're on sale. Like, that's not this at all. The Holy Spirit came to change us from the inside out. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, there should be the fruit of the Spirit. Where there was anger, there should be joy. Where there was hatred, there should be love. Where there was anxiety, there should be peace. Where there was addiction, there should be self-control. We should be seeing the gifts of the Spirit—healing, miracles, tongues, prophecy—all these things should be just naturally flowing out from us. But most of all, there should be a deep, deep abiding love and passion for the person of God. See, that's what—that's what changed in me. I was 14, and I was on a, I was on a missions trip to Mexico with a bunch of crazy Pentecostals, and I was just a Nazarene and didn't know any better. How many of you know some crazy Pentecostals this morning? If you don't know who they are, we're nuts, okay? And we were, I think it was, I don't know, it was in the morning, I think, and we just had a worship service, and they were like, hey man, have you have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, no, but it sounds scary. <laughs> and they're like, oh brother, sit down. And they prayed over me, and, and for me, it it did manifest itself in the gift of tongues, but honestly, it doesn't the, the tongues isn't a thing, and I don't even want to talk about it. What changed in me from that moment is this thing that had been just this this tiny little wisp of like a breath of love for God, all of a sudden turned into a rushing and mighty wind, and I've never been able to get rid of it from that day. Everything changed. <laughs> I want to share some of that change with you. I was 14. I'm 30. It's been a few years. You can do the math. I don't want to. It makes me sad. Okay? Um, There are ways that that we can practically connect with the Holy Spirit. If you came up, you prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's in you. Honestly, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is in you. It's kind of a different thing. It's a whole other sermon. I don't want to go into it right now. But there's like, you can connect with the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis. Because the truth of the matter is, it's it's in the little things. We want to put God in this box, right? We, we think, oh, I'm going to go to church to meet with God. I'm going to go have my quiet time and meet with God. But what I want you to think about is, like, how would it feel if you treated your, your spouse that way or maybe your best friend? It's like, oh, well, it's 8 o'clock. It's time to go talk to so-and-so, and we have a half hour, so let's do this. Let's have our relationship. Weird, right? Why do we treat God any different? He's more a person than we are. The Holy Spirit is more of a person than we are. We came from him, not the other way around. Yet we want to stick him in this little box of our prayer closet or church and worship on Sunday morning. But, But the truth of the matter is Jesus said, abide in me. And I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He wants to be in every single waking moment of your life. And we see that we see that reflected in the life of Christ as well. There's a couple times in the gospels where we it says Jesus would go off by himself and pray twice. I think is all it says. Jesus was a busy guy. And he even said he said the son of man has no place to lay his head. He was going crazy. But the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees who were just as busy but were also jerks, let's be honest, the 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 difference between him and them is that he had a constant connection with the Father through the Holy Spirit. It was always there. So we can find God in the little things. I think one of the easiest ways is in your pocket right now. Some of you, it's in your hand. You're on Facebook. Stop. Okay? But it's right here. There's a great Bible app called YouVersion. And did you know that it will actually read Scripture to you? Are there any other lazy people in here that are like, yes, that's the best thing I've ever heard in my whole life? So what if, what if on the way to work in the morning, instead of listening to, to Wood 1300 or NPR or Fox News Radio, whatever it is you listen to, what if, what if you turned on the Bible app and just let the Psalms start your day, let the Gospels start your day, let the Prophets start your day? Or there's, there's the podcast app. I have a bunch of podcasts. I'm kind of a podcast nerd, but half of them, they're they're all from churches. And I I love, we we live in such a day and age. You think about, really, guys, 50, 60 years ago, you couldn't, the, the sermon you got was from the guy down the corner. That's it. That's all you had. That was your church family. But now, man, you can listen to Stephen Furtick and John Tyson and John Piper. And the list goes on and on and on. There's so much word available for us. And in and in just that, that simple coming, that simple returning back to that, that's us making that connection with the Holy Spirit. The other practical way is just prayer. And I know prayer is this enigma for a lot of us, and it's confusing, and sometimes it's frightening. And and it's worth its, its own sermon series, which we just did a few weeks ago. It's on the internet. Go look for it. But let me break it down for you and make it real easy. Prayer is just a conversation with God that should never end. Sometimes it's full of thanks. Other times we're asking for God, God's help. But whatever it is, it should be the default place that our mind just returns to. Instead of, I don't know, Twitter, Facebook baseball, all these things, and those are like, those are fine and good and of themselves, but but the place that we should always be coming back to is, is, God, Lord, I want to connect with you. And praying, it's not always us saying something either. Sometimes sometimes praying is, is communing with God in the Holy Spirit about God himself. You, you read a scripture, you heard a sermon, and you're just letting it hang out in your head, and you're just churning it over like a cow chewing cud and you're just letting it happen and saying, God, just give me wisdom. Give me revelation. Show me what this means. I want to know you. I want to seek you. I want to be near you. And guys, I'm telling you, if you start doing this stuff, the Holy Spirit's going to show up. It it happened to me. I, I used to work at Wolverine. Are there any Wolverine people in here this morning? I'm sorry, original footworks. Okay, like, okay, a few of you. I, I did my time there as well. And I'm not a factory guy. That's what I learned when I was there. Uh, so thankful to be working here now. But I, I was I was a cutter, so I had this big machine, and I would put die on the letter, and, and I'd press, and it'd pch kunk. And so I just did kunk for like 12 hours, well, 10 hours a day. There was a couple times we worked 12s, and it was real bad. But anyway, we just, I would just do this, and do this, and do this. And so in that moment, if you've done that, you know, your mind just wanders, and and they didn't let us listen to music for whatever reason they thought was good. But so uh, in my head, I, I would just pray. Or I would start singing worship songs. And there's, there's one time I'm singing, I'm singing How He Loves. In my head. I'm not singing out loud because I don't want people to be like, what's this guy's deal? You know? Um, and all of a sudden, like, the presence of God just all over me. And I start crying like a little girl in front of a bunch of factory people. And let's be honest, I wear tight jeans, so I kind of already look like a little girl to these guys. It's just like, he loves us. And I'm seeing it in my mind, and I'm just overwhelmed in that moment at like, I think I was working nights. So it's like 1130 at night, and I'm, I'm just punching parts in a factory. And he was there. Guys, he wants to be there all the time. And yeah, we have things to do and, and lives to live, but 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 when it all quiets down in those quiet moments, you're gonna find that he's right there. It's kinda like this. There's there's two ways I can explain it to you. One is my wife and I, uh we've we've been together now. We started dating five years ago on Friday. And um uh, thank you, Paul, for the little who I heard. Um that first date, uh we started a conversation that hasn't ended. And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously during that time we were dating, we weren't always around each other. And now, you know, I have a job and stuff, so we're not always around each other. But again, through the wonders of technology, the conversation never stops. I have five years of text messages on here. And it's full of a bunch of nonsense, and we fight, and we share fire memes back and forth and the whole thing, but like, it's it's all on here the, the conversation never ends she's just you know naturally the place that my mind returns to even this morning as I'm getting ready to preach she just sent me a little text to encourage me she said, I believe in you I love you and it's going to be great um, that's the first way to understand I think the second way too is our lives our lives should look like uh, a brick wall and if you walk outside I think there's still some of these cinder block walls up and you can see and and there's There's the things in our lives that that are the bricks. There's, you know, our job, our our families, our relationships, stuff like that. But the Holy Spirit, that connection with God should be the mortar. It should be the thing that that holds it all together. And I know for a fact that some of us this morning, the building's about to crumble, but we don't know why. It's because we're missing the mortar. And some of us this morning we feel alone. That's because you let the conversation end. And some of you this morning are looking and you're struggling with addictions. You're struggling with anger, anxiety. And you remember praying that prayer, Holy Spirit, fill me. And you're, you you want to be like Peter. You want to be like Paul. See this deep change inside of you. Let's bow our heads together this morning. And what I'd like us to do, you don't have to repeat after me, but just for a minute in your heart as the music's playing, let's just return. Remember I said it's it's all in the little things. It doesn't have to be this big moment with the bands up and the lights are out and everybody's up front and we're all getting prayed over. It's the little things. It's the little moments, and this is your little moment. Holy Spirit, come and fill me up. Just take a moment and pray that prayer. Lord, forgive us for straying, for wandering away, for forgetting the Holy Spirit. We choose now as your people, as your church to return. And not just today, but tomorrow morning, on the way to work, tomorrow morning after breakfast, tomorrow afternoon after lunch, tomorrow night when the house is quiet and the kids are in bed we choose to return because you are the one thing everything else burns up all the things we're trying to build with our lives even this beautiful church that you've made in the end it's, it's all going to go away you will be the one thing that matters oh Lord Holy Spirit come change us from the inside out keep us close to you set us on fire for you work through us work in us as we choose to return to you day after day we love you Lord god's people said amen you guys are awesome
1: amen give it up for god this morning Amen.
0: thanks again for tuning in today if you'd like to learn more about our church you can check us out online at rlcbr.org be sure to subscribe to this podcast in the itunes store or your podcast feed we love you and remember to always reach up reach in and reach out have a great week